right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom, episode 11 here, DOD. Ben, how you doing? Feeling good, you know, feeling good. It feels like the offseason is finally in sight with the former Lions quarterback one game left on the slate, you know? <laughs> We've kind of been slogging deeper into the offseason than uh, Lions reporters have in a while. Well, it's been a weird time because I'm used to covering the Senior Bowl, which always happens in that week break between the se- you know between the playoffs and Super Bowl, um, and then having, you know, some downtime after that if I don't go to the Super Bowl, which I'm not this year because of the COVID situation and everything. Um, I'm actually in Arizona. You know, I looked at the weather report from New Orleans when I was there for the senior bowl. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not going back to Michigan. I'm actually out in the desert right now. Um, and just trying to, you know, get some sun, I guess. And, but it's, dude, it's been a wild, busy week for us from a Lions perspective, just with, um, you know, obviously with, you know, Brandon Powell and Ashawn Robinson in the, in the Super Bowl. And I, <laughs> I guess I got, I guess that Stafford guy too. <laughs> yeah. Ashawn, yeah. Pleasant Ashawn, you know, uh, it's like you said, it's nice to see some things never change with him, old grumpy Ashawn. <laughs> oh, he, it was so strange. He showed up for his media availability at the Super Bowl, the one that I'm aware of that he's doing all week. And he was like 20 minutes late, at least as compared, like he was listed at 5.50 p.m. Eastern. And it was, I don't know, 6.10 or something before he showed up. And he just sat there on camera with his head down like he was praying or something i i he might have been praying for the whole thing to end i, I, I don't know because ashan uh is pretty famously uh hates all things media related and media obligations related and hey ben like i get it man like those get these guys are paying are getting paid millions of dollars to come play football uh to to occupy gaps and t- tackle um running backs and i mean talking to reporters is is on the periphery of all of those responsibilities, right? So I get it. I can understand the disdain, but with Ashawn, like I guess more than anyone, I, I don't really understand where his ire for reverse comes from. I mean, he's <laughs> like I've had we, like listen, you do this job long enough, you're gonna have disagreements with players, and all of them in my time have been understandable. I I could really relate to where the player was coming from, even if I uh, disagreed. Ashawn's the one exception he's the one player who told me to go f myself we were in chicago and I, I walked up to him i forget what exactly what had happened but uh i walked up to him like hey ashawn you you got a minute and he's just like go f yourself and i'm like oh, okay and I, I, didn't, I didn't take that as a personal attack because that's how he was with everyone but just seeing him again that's the first time i've seen him in a couple of years and same surly self man it, it was like one or two questions in the 15 minutes where he even like was uh, trying to relate on a human level <laughs> But, you know, really good football player. And he started, he started 14 games this year on a really, really stacked defensive front for the Rams. So I, I think that speaks to how well he's playing. And obviously that's what matters. It's just a walk up memory lane, I guess, with uh, a guy I had beef with. <laughs> no, absolutely. I remember my, we'll get off Ashawn in a second, but it's a funny first year on the beat story. I remember you guys were like, hey, have you introduced yourself to Ashawn yet? Why don't you go over there and talk to him? And I remember I just like sat next to his locker for like 10 minutes and he finally just looked up at me and said, do you need something? And I was like, nope. All right. I'm going to run away out of here. <laughs> oh, he's a scary man. And I mean that in the, like the a football, Absolutely. A good football sense. Like, like I would not, in his words, F with him, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm 6'6", 245. And that dude could eat me and break me in half with one hand. <laughs> yeah. But I got to say one of my favorite, memories from being in the locker room which we haven't been now in two years was I, it must have been your first week on the job and Deshaun Hand who was a defensive lineman back then would love to mess with people he was always like doing like pranks and stuff and I walked up to him like hey you want to really get someone good in the media and of course he was down for that but you see that big tall guy over there it's his first week on the job and I've heard he's pretty jumpy so if you, if you you know if you like creep up behind him I think you know I think there's some potential there 
And man, Ben, you must, you, he scared you. You must have jumped a foot in the air. <laughs> I just remember notepads flying, hair flying, hat flying everywhere. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So we're coming off the senior bowl. It's Super Bowl week. You know, Stafford's in the news. Um, we're kind of in a, a kind of a lull period here um, when it comes to the draft process and everything. We'll get the combine here in a couple of weeks. So felt like kind of a good time to open up the, the mailbag again. Those are always, fun. I was, I always enjoy those in print. And uh, we did one of those earlier on the podcast, you know, a few weeks ago and uh, enjoyed that as well. So uh, we got a lot of good questions. One of which was about a Sean and a, the go after yourself story. So we'll get to that, I guess at some point, but we'll start Ben with uh, a friend of the friend of the program, big drew tweets um, on the Twitter, uh, his question, what's the pods take on the over the top Matthew Stafford loving from lions fans What's the most cringy Stafford opinion you've seen? And does Ben Johnson like fast receivers? Because I love them. Um, let's take the back end of that, that question first, since, uh, you know, I, I think we're all getting a little Stafford fatigue coming into the big game. I know we got to talk about it, but Ben Johnson getting promoted uh, to offensive coordinator this week. Ben, what are your impressions there? And, 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 and I mean, how do you see, you know, to, to Big Drew's uh, question, how do you see this uh, shaping out at wide receiver. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I don't think any of us were surprised by the promotion for Ben Johnson. I think it was the smartest move possible for them to kind of keep that cohesion moving from the hot stretch at the end of the season into next year. I mean, sure, we still don't know what's going to happen with play calling and Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson, but I mean, the collaborate, the creative co- collaboration they showed, getting the most out of those guys down the stretch, that was that was enough of an audition to hire Ben Johnson. And I mean, obviously wide receivers, a big time need, and I'm sure he likes them big, tall and fast. You know, I'm, I'm sure he needs a fast wide receiver there. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown, we've talked about it time and time and time again. He's a great slot guy. He's a great wide receiver too, but this defense, I mean, this offense, excuse me, does need somebody to take the lid off of defenses, whether that's an ultra fast burner down the sideline or whether if it's a Drake London type at six foot five, two twenty. I mean, they need somebody to push it downfield. So, I mean, I, I gotta say he, He's going to like wide receivers. I mean, yeah, fast ones at that too. I mean, who, who doesn't love a fast wide receiver? And that's something this team needs. We talk about playmakers all the time and playmaker at wide receiver, playmaker at the perimeters. He better love them because they need them. Yeah, I mean, you hit there on the end. They just need playmakers and whatever shape, shape or size or uh, whatever that comes in, you got to go for it. I mean, they have really done a lot of good work in the in the short field. I mean, that that's where St. Brown is at his best. And I know he had some some downfield uh, action going on down the stretch there, but really his bag is in the, you know, uh, line of scrimmage to to 15 yards, maybe. I mean, that, that that's where that guy is going to make serious hay over the years. I mean, he's so physical, runs great, precise routes. Like, you know, we, we saw it on down the stretch and they're going to look, I think Ben Johnson is going to look to put him in space. Uh, they have other good action going on in that part of the field too, with Hawkinson back and DeAndre Swift back. Jamal Williams, I think, is underrated as a, as a pass catcher. I mean, they got they got some options. What what they need is a field stretcher. And uh, to Antoine Randall L's point, the wide receivers coach from just last week, they need playmakers, and they've already told the receiver room to expect those additions. You know, Randall L threw out the figures of two draft picks and one free agent. Uh, you know. Who knows how that'll shake out, but the point is that there's going to be serious investment made. And it's not just going to be a bunch of fourth or fifth round picks, I don't think. I think you're going to see some serious investment at the top of this draft. And whether that's a big guy like Drake London, like you mentioned, whether it's in free agency with a big guy like Mike Williams, whether they go after a speed guy like anyone who played at Ohio State (laughs) in the back end of the first round, maybe the top of the second. I think that's all on the table. 
Um, I, I do think this is one of the most interesting questions with the offense, Ben, just because I think they have so many good pieces in place already with everything I just described in the short passing game. You got an offensive line that's intact, a running game that's showing promising signs. What they need is something downfield. Um, and I was just kind of curious to hear what Ben Johnson had to say on that. So I actually asked him about you know, about this very question, um, You know what they want to compliment Amon Ra with. Um, last week at the Senior Bowl, and, and here was his reply. He reminds me so much of, of the guy we had in Miami um, for a number of years there, Jarvis Landry. Just early on, uh, strong, tough, catches everything in sight. And then probably to me the most impressive thing about him is how driven he is. I mean, you could see that in the springtime, summertime, and then, heck, you go out to practice now, he's the last one off the field on the jugs every single day. Um, so I think we, we have really just opened, opened the door in terms of what he's capable of doing, you know, because he's uh, as driven as he is. Guys that I've been around that are, that are built like that mentally, they tend, to, they tend to surprise a lot of people. I guess maybe schematically or personnel-wise, how can you compliment Amon Ron when you already have that? Like looking at receiver. We can't. We can't tell you our secrets. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, as you can see, Ben Johnson with a bit of a sense of humor there, uh, which I guess made him a curious fit for Matt Patricia. But here we are all these years later, you know, and I, I, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They're not giving it away, but I, I, you know, I I think even to Ben Johnson's point, like they, you know, they might not be saying what they want to add, but they have good work in the short field. They just got to find something downfield, whether that's size or speed um, remains, you know, very much to be seen and probably just depends on the best player available, to be honest with you. The options are there. I mean, they're looking at pick 31 or 32, the quick turnaround at 34. It's another, I know it feels like we've said this like three years running, but it's another ultra deep class at wide receiver. It's a good looking free agent crop. I know you're high on Mike Williams. That fit is obvious there too, for sure. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of options here, two wide receivers through the draft and one through free agency. It's really easy to see the blueprint to kind of how this thing takes a step forward. I mean, it's there. So to, to big Drew's first part of that question, I mean, we have, we have to touch on the Stafford stuff. It's been dominating the news week. Again, I, if you're out there feeling fatigued about Matthew Stafford coverage, uh, you got two Pete writers here <laughs> talking to you who feel the same way, you know, we've covered this guy. I mean, I've covered this guy every day since 2013. Mm. Not, I mean, I guess not so much this year after the trade and stuff, but he's back in the news. And I feel like we've just co- we've covered every inch of that guy's career for so long. And, uh, you know, I'm actually pretty proud of the coverage the, that we've provided, that I provided the, the way, I, you know, he was such a polarizing guy in Detroit for some wrong reasons, I feel like. And he, he was a tremendous talent who obviously didn't take the lines to where everyone wants them to go. And I guess people disagree is how much of that blame falls on his shoulders. And I just, you know, I, obviously it's some because he he's a quarterback and we judge quarterbacks by wins and losses and, and how far they take their teams. But man, you can't watch the, those teams over the years and especially over the last five years or so and say, this guy's part of the problem. I mean, he was the guy with his finger in the dam, keeping this team, separating this team between a, a 500 record and like total catastrophe. And we saw that when he got hurt, they didn't win a single game. Um, and I guess now to see some revisionist history going on with Stafford in LA, it's like, oh, he was respected in Detroit, or you've got a lot of people who are pushing back, like uh, what he's doing in LA now. Like it's just really tiring um, to see all to see all the revisionist history. I guess Ben, where where do you stand on all this stuff? You know, I, I think it's it's really easy to understand why people love this guy. I mean, I understand he's got his detractors and the negative noise, but uh, I mean, to Drew's point, I understand the Stafford love. It's really important to remember this team was 0 and 16, and then three years later, their first overall pick 23 year old quarterback threw for 5,000 freaking yards and 40 touchdowns I mean that was like 
the most optimistic Lions fans have felt probably of their lifetime through multiple generations. So it's really easy to see. I mean, that's that was hope. That was a quarterback going into the new era of the NFL. I mean, they had a gunslinger. They had a 23-year-old first overall pick who was lighting the record books on fire. And I mean, exactly like you said, the revisionist history. Every time the Lions had a competent defense, it seems like they made the playoffs in a stretch. And it might have only been three times. And they were a couple close a couple times with the nine and seven, seven and nine stretch there. But it's just like the love makes sense to me. The worst takes have been the revisionist history. That's that's the other part about Drew's question. I, I don't have a single specific worst take. I just remember when Stafford had that rough November and golf was on the upswing, people were like comparing golf and Stafford side by side, pretending like they were in the same universe on the same planet in the same sphere of what they're able to do. I mean, that was the worst take I've seen of the last year. So I'll just leave it at that. I get the love. I don't understand the extreme hate. I understand he didn't win a playoff game. He didn't win a division title, all that stuff. But it's just like, I, I, I watch this guy play and it's just like, I hear the things and read it Twitter and it's like, what are you watching? Where is this coming from? It's just like I said a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's performance at this point. Yeah, it's performative and disingenuous. There, I think the single worst take that I saw, it wasn't from Super Bowl week, it was from week two. <laughs> and you can tell how much it's stuck in my craw because it's still in my brain. It's week two, it's the first half of the Monday night game. Goff is putting together, I don't know, his best quarter or two of football in the entire first half of the season. And someone, I'm the name nameless, just tweets out Goff greater than sign Stafford. And I, it just speaks, I think, so much to the the, the anti-Stafford crowd at this point. To your word, performative. I mean, there's no real uh, there's no real basis in fact or in numbers or in what your eyes tell you from the tape that compares these two quarterbacks. So, but I mean, there's a reason LA gave up two first-round picks and a third-round pick and Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford. And it's not because Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford are comparable quarterbacks. They're not. And look what the Rams have done this year with with Matthew Stafford. He's completely transformed that offense. They went from a average offense in terms of explosion to one of the best. And I know Stafford threw way too many uh, interceptions, 17, which led the league. I get it. He's not, a, he's not Tom Brady. He's not Aaron Rodgers. I get it. He's not the best quarterback of the league. Nobody here is trying to make that, make that argument, but he's in that next class of quarterback. And anyone who's given that guy a fair shake over these could tell that. And to see, just to see somebody leap to this, like, Oh, one, quarter or two quarters of good football from a guy who struggled for two years and was awful throughout the entire offseason. But hey, he's thrown two good quarters. So golf greater than sign Matthew Stafford. I mean, it's just, you know, Stafford's a really good quarterback and and, and trying to say that they're somehow like comparable between this guy and that guy just is a, it's a dumb argument. Absolutely. And now that you said that, I do have a specific worst take I saw. It was right after the trade. It was the take that I'll let it seem nameless to everybody will know where it came from. It's that the take that golf would win more games with the Lions and Stafford would win more games with the Rams. It was just a flat out take on that level. And it's just like, where, where does this come from? That's beyond yeah. performance. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's thrown for 335 plus yards and back-to-back playoff games. <laughs> like, it's just like... Yeah. I'm about ready to throw my mic out the window and go for a walk or something. I mean, that, that stuff's just maddening. That stuff's just maddening. Let's move on uh, from uh, Trant and stuff. Um, if y'all were betting men, what would be the odds that Stafford is the, is the Super Bowl MVP? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I would look at this this morning. I think he's got the third best odds to win it. I, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> throw for 300 yards and two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And it's pretty hard not to name that guy MVP. I mean, I think his biggest competition other than a loss is Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald kind of wreaking havoc on that week since the offensive line. But I think the chances of a Stafford if, if they win and he doesn't throw two or three picks, I think odds on favorite Super Bowl MVP, Matthew Stafford, which is just as tired of the topic as we are. It's still just crazy to say one year later. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be the 
leader going into the game because I think the Rams are going to win that game. I th- I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams won it easily, to be honest with you. And he's the quarterback of the team. Quarterbacks get the most love for those kind of awards. So yeah, to me, he's the he's the favorite by far, actually. So from at Schroed Sanity, um, now we're post Senior Bowl. Do you have any news or any any confirmed thoughts about what quarterback prospects the Lions like and whether or not they'll aim to take one at some point in the draft? Mm. You know, I mean, I I understand the outside eyes looking in that continue to mock quarterbacks, the lines that pick 32, pick 34 in the back of the first round like that. I, I, I understand it. It's it's I do those mock simulations myself. It's hard to pass on a Ritter or a Willis or a Howell at 28 or 31 or 32 or even 34. I get it. I mean, it's just I don't have a feel for it, but I mean, it still feels there are so many holes on this team. Goff feels so locked into the role that I just don't think this is the year to do it. They need a backup quarterback, whether that's free agent agency or a middle round remains to be seen but I mean I don't see it happening with one of those first three picks I mean no matter who falls I just I just don't feel it having been in Mobile for a week it, it was impossible I would say to be in that stadium and not be like googly eyed for Malik Willis mm. um, and and anyone who follows the NFL which is probably everyone listening to this they don't need me to tell you that because it's all over the news and it's in every story that you've read about the senior bowl I mean that guy that guy pops and um you know, it's, it's people are speaking truth on it. I mean, the guy was the best quarterback there. Um, maybe not the most consistent. That was Kenny Pickett, and he's the most polished. If you're, if you're a team like the Steelers, say, and you have a, a pretty good team and you just need a quarterback um, to help compete right away, I, I, you know, Kenny Pickett's going to be your guy, not Malik Willis. But if you're a team that's got some time to bide and you want to invest in the best skill set at that position in this draft, I mean, that's Malik Willis. And the Lions, by the way, they have a quarterback under contract for a couple of years yet and Jared Goff and a guy who, you know, showed some competency down the stretch with Ben Johnson and everything that happened there. So, uh, you know, I, I I think Malik Willis in a lot of ways makes sense for the Lions. His timeline matches up with theirs. The skill set is, man, he had, the, he had the strongest arm there. They're, like when it was pouring rain on, on day two for practice and everyone was slipping and sliding and like that ball was cutting through the rain. I mean, you could that like he was impressive all week. He had he had the strongest velocity of any quarterback in the Senior Bowl. Like since they started tracking that stuff a few years ago, and it just he really separated himself when he was in the rain. I mean, I like I, I was just really impressed by his arm strength and. No one needs to talk about you know, his mobility. I mean, it just speaks for itself. He's the most mobile quarterback in this draft. But like, whether they actually take that guy is a totally different matter. You know? Yeah. I I, you, I just don't think you can miss if you take that. If you're one of those first round picks on a quarterback. You can't miss. And he has he's the biggest boomer bust candidate I think in this draft. Uh, you know, the rewards could be exceptional, but the risk for for busting is huge. And so, you know, do I think they take Malik Willis? I, I think ultimately probably not then. Um, not with Jared Goff playing well. And I think they'll offer some continuity there and use the, the, the capital they have to build around him, at least until next year when there's more depth, I, I think, at the quarterback class. But who knows, man? Malik, it, it, they were there, they were coaching, and it was impossible not to have your hands on that guy and working with him and, and not fall in love with the skill set. Everything you said and more right there, I think the quarterback that makes the most sense for this team at 31, 32, or 34 is Malik Willis. And then it feels like a pretty hefty drop off to like the Ritters of the world. I mean, but I think just Malik Willis, it feels like such a natural fit with the timeline under center and what they have in place here. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Is he available at 31 or 32? We'll see who knows about that. Because I mean, like you said, there are, there are teams out there that are looking for the same situation. I mean, the Steelers are probably going to be looking for the more ready now version if they're going for a quarterback, like you said. So it's just like, there's a lot of dominoes at play there. It's hard to think about a quarterback at 31 or 32. Those Lamar Jacksons don't fall to you every year down there. So it's just Willis makes the most sense. I'll agree with you hundred percent there, the potential, the boomer bust, the timeline, it fits. It's just, is he there? Do they make that 
in year two of this rebuild is that's that's a big risk that is a big risk with all those holes mtu noodle 96 uh, i can never say these candles <laughs> with a straight face <laughs> y'all gotta come up with something better in 2023 the Lions starting quarterback will be a jared goff b 2022 draft pick t 2023 draft pick D, uh, free agent Matthew Stafford, <laughs> or E, other, 2023. 2023, you know, um, I'll, I'll duck after saying this answer, but I'm going to say Jared Goff. So I just, I just think, uh, like all the things we just talked about, the timeline, I mean, yeah, it's a lot easier to get out of his contract. It's still $10 million in 2023, but I mean, still a starting quarterback who has shown signs of growth i mean it depends on how things go next year if it's if it looks like the first half of last season then <laughs> i'll go with 2022 draft pick but I, I my gut tells me my logic tells me it'll be golf in 2023 too i mean they might have a young piece behind them at that point but i still think it'll be jared golf i think the year to really get away from golf is that 2024 least risk and i mean he'll just be turning 30 at that point but i'll, I'll go with jared golf for the 2023 opening day starter yeah who, who knows i mean i they probably don't know it's, there's a lot of dominoes to fall between now and then so we're just purely speculating here but um you know i think the likeliest outcome in this whole dilemma is the line stand pad at quarterback um, you know, they build on the momentum they, they, they established on the stretch last year. They build around a quarterback, Jared Goff, who had success with Ben Johnson, who is now his full-time offensive coordinator and hope for the best. And I think there's a lot of good reasons to hope for the best and, and expect better results going forward. Um, if you get that vertical threat on the outside, I think they draft a quarterback next year when the draft is deep at that position, you got, you know, two more first round picks to, to do your thing, either take a guy or make a move up the board. And so you know, you're probably talking about golf starting the year, at least in 2023 under center, because very rarely is a receiver is a, is a rookie ready to go then. And then you, you know, you let him ride the bench for a little bit and, and see what's what after that. I think that's probably the most likely outcome, but man, that's like a hundred dominoes away. So who, who knows? So, so from Chad C. Lincoln, let's say the Lions draft Malik Willis early, but golf also plays lights out. How long do you sit your first round franchise quarterback? Dude, I think uh, I, I think if you go Willis and golf continues to look the way he has, I mean, like I said, I mean, maybe two years, maybe you go into 2024 if you take a week, Malik Willis, commit these next two years to golf while it's expensive to get out of it, while he still is arrow up with Ben Johnson and the play calling and all those things, the infusion of talent on the offense, see how that goes. But I mean, there's if, if they think Malik Willis might be their guy, there's let him sit for two years. I mean, of all the guys, he seems like the most that'll kind of benefit from that type of experience sitting behind a guy like Goff. I mean, say what you will about Goff, but I mean, he was a great soldier this year on that young roster. I, I would feel pretty confident with a guy like Willis getting to sit behind him. I, I just, I think that would be a good situation. I mean, I, I think the earliest you would look, I mean, 2024. I mean, I think if a Malik Willis is the pick, you're looking at two years as the backup for sure. I really disagree. Uh, I, I think if you spend a first round pick on Malik Willis, which is what you have to do to get that guy, I think at this point, I think he's going to just continue to climb up boards once he goes through this whole process and, and the demand on quarterbacks and the low supply of them always pushes these guys up the board. Now, I, th I think there's no way Malik Willis makes it out of the first round. No, yeah. He's going to take a first round pick to, to get the guy. And if you spend a first round pick on the guy, I just two years in the NFL, so starting in year three and year three of a, of a, of a five-year contract like that, I mean, that's an eternity in NFL years. It's an eternity. It's very rarely to have a, you know, a Jordan Love kind of situation. And his situation is so unique because of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's that like, I just don't think you can spend, if you're a team like the Lions, I just don't think you can spend capital, like a first round pick on a guy who won't play for you until his third season. And one of the biggest values of drafting a quarterback is the, that you have a quarterback 
the most expensive position on the field under a rookie contract for, for five years. And so I say like, he does need, like he definitely needs refinement in his game. I, I don't think it's so much the read stuff, like making his progressions and stuff. I thought he did a really good job of that stuff actually um, at the senior bowl, but he needs help with his accuracy and consistency. And he's going to see a totally different level of competition that will take tons of time to adjust to. So if you do draft the guy, I think you have to plan on redshirting him essentially his rookie season with an eye towards starting him in year two. And I like Jared Goff, I, I think he's a known commodity. It's not like rolling with golf is going to find you some new level of quarterback play down the road. It's it, mm-hmm. it, that's just, he's just occupying space until you get your future guy in there. So if you spend a first round pick on Malik Willis and this quarterback, Hey, even if he's not like, uh, you know, Tom Brady in year two, like, I think you have to get him on the field, let him make his rookie mistakes or his young player mistakes and, and let him grow. So that by your, you know, your 2024, <laughs> which is so far away, you've got a seasoned quarterback with experience who's ready to compete. And I think that's kind of the, like the 2024 is really the year they're looking at in terms of this rebuild of it maturing to the point we're ready to compete. I just, I don't think sitting a guy for two years gets you to that point. No, it's definitely not ideal. And like you said, yeah, I mean, the only other times that have really happened and worked was Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre and Jordan Love behind Aaron Rodgers, two very unique situations. And yeah, it's just, I mean, he's not making it out of the first round, like you said. So it's just, (laughs) yeah, you got to take full advantage of that rookie skill contract. So it's, I mean, that's the, that's the balancing act we're uh, talking about right here. It'll be, it'll be interesting. From S Ryan zero zero. Uh, do you see any free agents wanting to come to Detroit to play for Campbell? Or do we expect the same meh free agency we have come to expect? I, I think players are going to want to come here just for this coaching staff and Dan Campbell, but just looking at guys like Tracy Walker and Charles Harris, guys that hit next levels in their careers, guy that got an opportunity and were able to kind of run with it and make themselves some money. I mean, whether it's a one-year deal or two-year deals for some of these guys, I think there is going to be increased interest to be part of this. I mean, everything coming out of this is positive regarding that coaching staff, whether it's Campbell's kind of flashing his football mind by growing the way he did as a play caller to the motivator that you already know he is to guys like Aaron Glenn and Aubrey Pleasant getting interview after interview on this coaching cycle. I mean, things are on the come up here. And I mean, that locker room environment was legitimately great this year. And I think it's just a positive young environment. It's easy to see the direction this team is going. I, I just think if I was an NFL player looking for a new home and I would want to play for Dan Campbell. I mean, it seems like a really healthy developing environment to be in. And I think that's the best thing about this thing moving forward. In free agency, players are looking for money, playing time, and ideally, you know, wins, com- competitive chance to play in the big stage. Those are the three variables that that really dictate free agency. And if you give a guy enough money, like you can overcome deficiencies elsewhere, like competitiveness or, or what have you. If you're a good team, maybe you can get by uh, with paying a guy a little less or more of a market rate um, to come to you. Obviously, Detroit's not in that position, though. Detroit also has natural disadvantages, being a cold weather city. You know, a lot of guys from the South, which is where so much NFL talent comes from, they don't really feel Detroit is some destination. But you give a guy enough money, he's going to come here. Look at a guy like Trey Flowers, right? From a few years ago, like Arkansas guy, like goes to New England, becomes a star, becomes the number one free agent in the league. And the Lions uh, went up to the table and gave him $90 million, which blew away every other offer. And the guy came here. Like that. that that's kind of how free agency works. But obviously there's a lot of like, uh, nuance in that whole situation. And one of the nuances is like guys want to have fun playing football and like that, that, that's not going to tip a guy in one direction or the other, but it can hurt you or it can help you if you have that going for you or, or not, you know, like, like Matt Patricia got a really bad rap around the league for being not fun to play for. 
for having so many rules, practices being ridiculously hard, back to back to back and, and, and training camp, just not doing a good job of taking care of guys' bodies, going after guys for social media, like all, all this dumb stuff that we heard for so many years and that drove away guys like Quandre Dix, who is really popular around the league and, and Darius Slay, who's really popular around the league. Like that, that stuff gets around, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you give somebody $90 million, he'll come play for you, even if you're a dude that no one wants to play for. But like when you're a bad dude, that's what you have to do. You have to overspend. And like, I, I, I guess that's where I see the difference with Dan Campbell is that like they haven't established they can win yet, although it's, it seems to be trending that way at least. But he has established that he's a player's coach who has his, you know, he has a good feel for the locker room and he has respect for the players. And the players respect him because of it. He's an authentic guy who encourages authenticity in his players. You know, Matt Patricia would literally tell his guys like, don't be interesting. Like, don't tell the media anything. Don't don't use social media. Like, when guys come here now, it's like, just be yourself. And it makes everyone more comfortable playing this game. And it makes this game more fun. So, I mean, you just have to look at these, like, locker room celebrations after the wins and the way this team rallied around Dan Campbell. And then look at the way that he coaches this aggressive mindset. Uh, and do I think he's going to set a record every year for down attempts? No, I don't. I, I, I would hope not, because that means things are probably not going very well for you. But I do think he's going to remain aggressive. That's something he talked about from day one. And guys love aggressive football. Players love playing aggressively. They love uh, fake punting and uh, going for it on fourth and fives, like from from midfield. I mean, they they love that stuff. And so, if the wins come, especially in this year, like I definitely see Dan Campbell helping Detroit become more desirable in free agency versus where we've seen. Which I, I think to the que- you know to the questioners' um, response, you know, they're calling it meh. Like that, that's a pretty good, I think, like mm-hmm. summation of Detroit's like free agent. Uh, draw just because of where it's located and how little it's won historically. But I think that vibe is changing and uh, the winds follow. I do think I do think the Lions and Dan Campbell will become more of a magnet uh, for guys in, in free agency. We Absolutely. can uh, agree. Yeah. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I, awesome. Let's let's move along from the happy dude one nine eight. So will we get that Ashawn Robinson story on the Dungeon of Doom? Well, like, you know, it wasn't even off the record. It like so he told me to go F myself. We were in Chicago. I can't even remember what happened. I just walked up to the guy and said, Hey, Ashawn, you got a minute, you know? Might not have been my exact words, but it was to that effect. I just wanted a quick quote you know, quick quote from the guy and he turns around and says, go F yourself. You know, Uh, first time anyone's ever said that he also like went off on some F-bomb tirade in Green Bay once. Like, you know, this was, uh, it was a, um, like I said, there was no, it's not like I did something that, that I'm aware of that Ashawn Robinson resented. And it's not even like it was about me. He treated the entire media core this way. And I don't really understand why he wasn't like that during the combine process. He actually had a pretty good combine interview. I had heard, you know, things about him being kind of surly back in Alabama. So maybe some of these things even predate his time in Detroit. But then we talked to him at the combine. I'm like, man, that guy's not so bad. <laughs> and then he gets to Detroit. And I'm like, man, that guy's not bad. <laughs> but like I, like I said at the top, like this whole thing, Ben, is not about you and me. It's about football and how well these guys play it. And of course, them doing interviews helps increase the popularity of the game and helps people understand these players more and it helps develop the fandom, which is why the NFLPA has entered into an agreement with the NFL learning like how often these guys have to talk to reporters. And that's why these guys have to do what they do, even if they don't like doing it. And it helps everyone make money, which is why the NFLPA makes them do it. So I understand like Ashawn Robinson is supposed to talk to me, but you know, like, I don't need to talk to Ashawn Robinson if he doesn't want to talk to me. Even if I'm doing a story about a, you know Ashawn Robinson or the defensive line or whatever, I can just go talk to somebody else. And the Lions locker room is filled with good guys that I enjoy talking to and that help teach me about the game. And so I never took it personal, and I never really bothered him too much. You know, 
And and when I did, you know, he told me to go F myself and it is what it is. And hey man, it's a business. And I take it, I don't take it personally. He's just doing his thing. And and now he's found, you know, new heights in his own personal game this year with LA. Started 14 games, you know, on a star-studded Hall of Fame caliber defensive front with Von Miller, with of course Aaron Donald playing alongside him. And he played really well, like three force fumbles. Uh he had a career high in tackles. I think it was like 57, 58, if I remember right. You know, and, and he's played really well in the playoffs. He's played his best football down the stretch. Now he's in the Super Bowl uh, and good for him. He He's um, he's playing well and he's at the top, you know, the, at the pinnacle of the sport. And, um, you know, I'm happy for him. No, oh, yeah. And he was uh, definitely an outlier. Like I, I've never seen somebody so consistently hate every single reporter. I mean, you got a little more than others, but others have gotten that kind of <laughs> saltiness too. But I just like, I mean, Ashawn was Ashawn every single day. And I just remember when kind of snacks turned against us his last year in Detroit, it was just like two giant angry dudes who hated the media together <laughs> walking through that locker room. But uh, yeah, great player, great talent, former second round pick out of Alabama and shoot, perfect fit next to a guy like Aaron Donald to eat up those single blocks and on the line for sure. So the next question is from MD Ratliff. Uh, one takeaway from me from the senior bowl was how good the edge rushers appeared to be. Like maybe this class is deeper than originally thought uh, at that position. Curious to know your opinions on it. Uh, if it appears that way to you and maybe Kyle Hamilton is more of a realistic option at number two post senior bowl. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, all the takeaways from the senior bowl that Jermaine Johnson out of Florida state was an absolute stud. And I think he's Ooh, like, baby. Yeah, he exactly. Oh, so good. You yeah. had me hyped up on him that I was looking up clips and stuff on him. It's like, wow. Okay. This is a lot deeper than I thought, but uh, yeah, it's a deep edge rusher class for sure. I mean, Johnson is like fifth or sixth or seventh ranked on some people's board. And this guy's a world leader at absolute times. I mean, no doubt about it. Now go, into the Kyle Hamilton discussion, I mean, I if the Lions are sitting at pick two and it's Hutchinson and Kayvon saying the Jaguars may be taking offensive tackle or whether one of those guys are on the board, I, I you can't take Kyle Hamilton over one of those edge rushers. I know he's a special talent. I know he's a special safety. I know there are not many guys at his position built like that, that can move like that, that can cover like that. But it's just like those edge rushers, I mean, people are sleeping on Kayvon. He might be the best player in this draft with the highest ceiling too. And it's just kind of, it's been interesting to watch that because I thought maybe at first it was the local thing of Hutchinson dominating at Michigan and people were kind of throwing him over Kayvon. But it's been the national trend too, it seems like. I just think don't sleep on either of those two edge rushers. They're the one and two best players on this board and the Lions would be very lucky to get them that's nothing against Hamilton just an edge rusher like one of those two dudes at the top of the board that's that's a no-brainer opportunity for this rebuild it's not just that those guys are the best players um and I think you know I think Kyle Hamilton's a very good player I think he's going to go very high in this draft because of it but I just think Hutchinson and Thibodeau are better and not only are they better but they're better at a more valuable position there's a reason why those guys get paid the money they do I mean I think they get probably number three money maybe even number two money in the the league now at this point between them and, and offensive tackle but the reason why those guys get paid so much is because they can affect a game on every single play. That's the, the same can't be said of a safety. And would Kyle Hamilton look great in this defense? There's no doubt about him, man. That guy's an unbelievable talent and extremely versatile. Uh, he fit uh, perfectly. And and in a trade down scenario, say where they pick up an extra pick and they're uh, they're, pick, they're picking over whoever's left there, like he would be a great fit for this team. But if you're sitting there at two, one guy's off the board, and you got your pick of one of those two top edge rushers, a guy who can affect the game on every single play, you got to go for it. Like that, like those guys are. Near impossible to find a free agency, and when you do, they're just unbelievably, prohibitively expensive. Look what Trey Flowers got. Trey Flowers got ninety million dollars, and he's had I think ten sacks since signing that since signing that contract a few years ago. You, you need to draft blue chip talent that position to to build, you know, have a healthy build in this league because it's just too prohibitively expensive to buy those guys in free agency. 
and now you have your chance to get one and you have to go do it. When was the last time the Lions had a difference-making pass rusher? I mean, it had to have been like early stage Ziggy Ansa, which yeah. is like forever ago at this point. And their, their pass rush has suffered for it. It's been one of the worst in the, in the league in the past couple of years. And it just hangs the secondary out to dry. And when you're leaning on young guys like Jeff Okuda and Jerry Jacobs and AJ Parker, guys who are, are going to be in that mix next year, along with Oral Warrior, I mean, you need guys who can go after the quarterback and make things easier for everyone or it's just not going to work. And so that's why I would go with the, the pass rusher at the top. Okay. What Simon says, who's a, a good follow on Twitter. I, I enjoy his stuff. Um, in Holmes's first draft, uh, he went heavy on the trenches in the first three rounds. He talked about adding talent to the perimeter this offseason, what positions do you think Holmes values highly enough to take on day one or day two outside of edge, which is pretty obvious? You know, I think wide receiver, wide receiver and safety. I, I well, While I wouldn't take a safety hit pick two or that high up on the board, I mean, I think when you're talking at the end of round one or the top of round two, there are some other good safeties on this board too. And with or without Tracy Walker, playmaker. Here's that word again, playmaker. They need a playmaker on the back of that defense with or without Tracy Walker. I mean, somebody that can go up and get a ball, somebody that can eat a tight end. I mean, when was the last, you talk about a dominant edge rusher. When was the last time the Lions had a safety that could eat a tight end? Was it Glover Quinn? I mean, seriously, I mean, we're talking five, six years. It's just, I think when you're talking perimeter on day one and day two outside of edge, I mean, it's wide receiver and it's safety at the top of the board. I don't think they'll go fishing for a corner that early, but I do, I could see a safety at the back of round one or early round too, especially in this class, but receiver and safety. It's receiver with a bullet. I mean, <laughs> it's receiver. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they, they need help everywhere, but they need help at receiver more than anywhere. Like that, like they're not even being bashful about it. Mm -hmm. Antoine Randall, I was talking to us on the final day of availability there uh, at the senior bowl. We were sitting inside the convention center and he's literally just saying, we're going to draft. I've already told my guys we're drafting two guys. We're going to sign one and we need a playmaker. And it's no offense to you guys, but you're just not it, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and so, you know, to get a playmaker, I mean, listen, they got Tame Brown in the fourth and that's a great value. It's one of the best values in all of this year, but that's kind of a unicorn. I mean, that like, I, I really think they're going to invest in a difference making skill set and whether that's speed or size, I, I don't really know. I suspect it's going to be some size though, because they need help downfield and they also need help in the red zone. Just not enough like height length, you know, to help them in the, in the red zone. I think that's one of the, one of the issues they had punching it into the touchdowns last year. Jay worth 22 asks uh, with a lens, understandable exit, uh, and the promotion of Ben Johnson to offensive coordinator. Should we expect a run game coordinator hire from outside the building? I worry that Lynn's impact on the first decent lines running game in years is being overlooked. Um, yeah, it's a, that's an interesting point. Um, especially when you have an offensive line, like the lions, it never hurts to get an outside voice kind of looking how to get the most out of that group, how to get the most out of the rushing attack. I mean, it's actually a pretty good, good idea that kind of slipped my mind to this point until hearing that question. I mean, an outside hire for run game coordinator. I mean, you want to try and figure out what you have in DeAndre Swift while moving forward at running back down the line. I mean, get another set of outside eyes on there. Get some ideas working behind that offensive line. I mean, I don't have any names off the top of my head, but I mean, it is a growing trend in the league to have a run game coordinator, to have a passing game coordinator on either side of the ball. So it's just definitely something to watch because I think all the talk down the stretch was Campbell and Johnson spending more time with the receivers and the quarterbacks, extra emphasis on the passing game. So yeah, something to watch there. I'm curious to hear your take on this because that was a, that's a good question right there. I mean, the, the, the running game was their strength in the first half of the season when Lynn was calling plays, but its effectiveness was obviously tempered by just, they just played behind damn near every second of the first half of the season. So it kind of took that out of the game sometimes, but it was, it was fairly effective when Dan Campbell took over the offense and thusly the running game, running production went up by almost 40%. DeAndre Swift ran for a hundred yards first game out of the gate right. and then did it again the next week. And they kept running the football, even when 
DeAndre Swift got hurt. And even when Jamal Williams got COVID and Craig Reynolds off the street goes in there and runs for, I don't know, almost 200 yards in two two weeks. I, I think Dan Campbell knows a thing or two about running the football. And when he came in, he, that, that was what that he wanted to be. He wanted to be an aggressive offense, but also he wants their identity to be around running the football and being physical. And that doesn't mean three yards in a cloud of dust, just to be clear. I mean, I think we've all seen that that's not what he wants to be, but he does want a physical, hard-nosed, pounding running game that to complement the passing game with. And we saw that. We saw that with great effectiveness, especially when they had enough guys out there healthy enough to do it. I mean, like I loved watching what they did with Matt Nelson right after the mm. the change at play caller where uh, Campbell was calling plays in the second half and they go out there and Matt Nelson, I don't know how many snaps he played against Pittsburgh, but he was out there as a sixth offensive lineman for damn, I, I don't know, 20, 25 plays. I, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me, but it was a very effective package. And um, like I said, man, it, it, like no matter who they lost, the running game continued to produce and it was up 40% in the second half of the year. And so I don't think they have a need necessarily. It doesn't mean they won't do it, but I don't think it's like some pressing need. And I, I don't think Lynn's effect on the running game is as much as, as people think. It got better once he was demoted, effectively demoted. And I'd add also, they already have a running backs coach slash uh, assistant head coach in Deuce Staley, who's well, really well regarded, really well liked. The running backs really love uh, working for him and playing for him. They get better with him. And so... You know, I've heard he, you know, he's played a little running back in his career. Yeah, I think so. So, exactly. So, (laughs) I think he's a resource that that Campbell could rely on as well when it comes to coordinating everything with the with the running game. Yeah, I get the, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. to see that happen. Yeah, I, I get the interest in wanting an outside voice. You always, I mean, I get that that's more sexy than just internal promotions or internal shifting and stuff like that. But everything you just said and more, because like Campbell and Johnson, I mean, it wasn't just the passing attack, the pre-stat motion, the heavy set formations, moving guys around, putting them in the spots that they could have the most success in. That happened down the stretch. And that wasn't just Anthony Lynn. I mean, he did some nice things in the running game early, but like you said, that running game hit new levels in the second half and the passing game will look good doing it too. So it's like that cohesion works on both sides there, passing and running. And like you said, Deuce Staley, assistant head coach. I mean, yeah, he was pretty solid running back in his day. I'm sure he knows a thing or two, too. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. All right. Last one, Ben. This one uh, I thought was a fun one to wrap up on. Uh, From a friend of the program, Forrest J. Page 86, which of the four Detroit franchises reaches the semifinals in their sport first i'm leading red wings in three years what about you guys i love that it's in three years the highest ceiling detroit sports fans can taste is the freaking semifinals especially (laughs) uh, when you're coming out of the desert of like 20 years of non-competitiveness in every sport it feels like (laughs) what a depressing question but a good question i'm glad you picked this one i i'm gonna agree with him i do think it is the red wings i feel like the pistons and lions are kind of in purgatory where 2024 kind of feels like best case scenario for them sniff the playoffs for them to really like show signs of real life but I mean Tigers are right there you got all those top prospects that are still in the minor leagues though the Red Wings Larkin Raymond Sater they're up they're seven points out of the playoffs right now you can kind of kind of feels like the Red Wings have a couple years heads up on everybody on their rebuild it kind of feels like that thing is a lot closer to being competitive than the other sports I'm no hockey expert I watch it very leisurely but just I mean it kind of feels like the Red Wings young stars are up and moving in the right direction while the Tigers are next in line kind of still in minor league ball but yeah it feels like the Pistons and Lions are bottom of the barrel I, I'm an expert on the Lions. I, I don't know anything really about the Tigers, uh, Red Wings, or Pistons, but I am also an expert on DCFC, the Detroit City Football Club, and I have to say DCFC does not get enough love. <laughs> I, I feel like they've cleaned up every year that they've 
existed certainly every year since like, you know, I don't know, last six or seven years. And they still serve $5 beers at their game. So I feel like everyone wins. I was going to say that is a highly recommended experience is going to those games. I, I haven't done that in a couple of years since I lived on the North End, but I, I like that plug. That's a good local plug right there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it honestly, it feels like going to a high school football game sometimes, but just on a professional level, just like the fandom that's there and people are standing and singing and i mean you can you i mean i I love to like it's not just you go there and you get a hot dog i think you can also get hot dogs but it's like it's in hamtramck which has like a a strong polish connection so you can get like kielbasas and all kinds of stuff like that and then uh there's also a huge arab population there and just i mean just have tremendous like shawarma and stuff like that this game like i just like like the ties into the local community as well it's it's a really cool experience and also some pretty damn good football if you will (laughs) absolutely i was gonna say old m lives gus burns and i have stumbled from that stadium to bumbos many a time (laughs) yeah Yeah. i yeah there's there's stories to be told uh, off air (laughs) (laughs) we got a whole off season to get into that yeah (laughs) ben it's been real man um nice catching up i got some some tacos to eat so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go absolutely man we'll talk to y'all later This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom and MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.